This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You mentioned extraterrestrials. They just announced yesterday that. Yeah, yeah. From their existence. Have you had any run-ins with them yourself? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I think about how cool that would be all the time. You hear like abduction stories and stuff. I'm, I'm much more interested in understanding the, the philosophy and the spirituality of extraterrestrials than I am interested in their technology. All right, welcome back to the Digital Social Hour, guys. I'm your host, Sean Kelly. Got an awesome guest for you guys today, Aaron Abke. How's it going? Good, brother. Thanks for having me on. Man, I can't wait to hear your story. I've seen your content, truly inspired, and I think you're getting a powerful message across. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so how did you first get into all of this spiritual stuff? So I was born and raised as a pastor's kid Mm. and wanted to kind of follow in my dad's footsteps and be a pastor and go into ministry and all that. And then... Right around 18 years old, I started to question a lot of the dogmatic beliefs in Christianity. I was always a very devout Christian in that I I loved Jesus. I wanted to emulate Jesus and be Christ-like and all that good stuff, but couldn't vibe with the wrathful, vengeful God message, you know? So at 23, uh, I had just graduated college. I'd gotten a full-time job as a pastor at a small church in San Jose, California. And the, the internal conflict of like, I don't believe in this God you preach anymore mm-hmm. just was too great at that point. So I decided to be authentic and just tell the truth about what I felt. And that kind of blew up my life, as you can imagine, because every friend I have, all my family, everyone's a hardcore Christian. Right. And so when you're in a cult, people don't like when you leave the cult, you know? Yeah. So I lost like all my friends, basically all my family members, except for my parents and sister Mm -hmm. uh, to this day, you know, don't really want to talk to me much. And so I had to navigate that part of my life for many years Mm -hmm. of like, okay, what do I even believe anymore about reality and life and myself, God, and got into from that point, kind of some of the Eastern traditions, Buddhism and Hinduism, especially, Mm -hmm. and started finding really satisfying answers in those traditions. And then it kind of came full circle back to my original faith, but from a very mystical standpoint, you know, Christ consciousness and understanding the level of consciousness that this famous man we call Jesus was actually living from Mm. and understanding that that level of consciousness is available to all of us. Right. And so that kind of led me into a deep spiritual awakening process. And, you know, years later, just started making YouTube videos for fun. Yeah. And to my surprise, they started doing really well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, here I am today. That's a crazy story. Were you ever were you ever able to rebuild the relationship with your family or was it such a big divide? Yeah, so my my mom and dad are amazing people and my dad more so than my mom had a lot of trouble with my new beliefs. But the interesting thing is maybe just because I post so much content online over the last 5 years and my dad can watch some of it. Yeah. But to my surprise, he's he's really come around to 
kind of agreeing with me on almost every um, concept of, you know, Christianity and like, I believe that God is love and that God has infinite capacity for forgiveness mm. and redemption rather than just mindless punishment. Right. He actually is in that camp now. And so they've, my, my own parents have actually gone through quite a spiritual transformation because of my own nice. transformation. That's good to hear, man. I'm happy yeah. for you. Thank you, man. What are some common misconceptions you see religion pushing on people to the mainstream that you would like to address? Well, the, the main sort of fallacy that religion unknowingly pushes, I think, is just the concept of separation, mm. that we live in a universe, well, let's just say from their perspective, how they would put it is that we are separate from God because we're sinful. Mm -hmm. And we have to do something to atone for our sins so that God can love us and accept us again. Right. And that's really just a projection of man's ego onto God, but not actually the way God is. And that's that's what got me so passionate about what I teach now. Mm. Most people would consider me like a spiritual teacher, but that's such an ambiguous term. I like to classify what I teach more so as metaphysics mm -hmm. and ontology. And if you don't know what those words mean, we can talk about that. But um, just understanding like the rule structure, the laws that govern the universe, mm. we can actually observe these laws and understand what the nature of the universe is. Mm aka what is God really like? And when we do that from an objective viewpoint, we see that a lot of the ideas, it's like, it's not that just- Shout out to today's sponsor, HelloFresh. HelloFresh makes whipping up home-cooked meals super easy. They got 15 minute meals. That's less time than it takes to get delivery. Everything's pre-portioned, delivered straight to your door every week. For me, it's a no-brainer personally. We all know it also takes the hassle out of meal time and it can also save you money. HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout on average. I used to order takeout all the time. HelloFresh has been awesome for saving money in that way. Uh, you get a home cooked meal on the table, more money back in your pocket, makes cooking easy. Personally, I used to suck at cooking and HelloFresh, I can actually pull off some pretty decent meals because they got step-by-step -step pictured instructions. So it makes my life easy. It'll probably make yours easy as well. If you want America's number one meal kit, go to HelloFresh.com slash DSH free for free breakfast for life. That's code DSH free for free breakfast for life. One free breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. Guys, that's free breakfast for life. HelloFresh.com slash DSH free. Link will be in the description. Don't forget to use code DSH free. The, the ideas religion pushes are false. It's almost that they're more true than religion even realizes like the idea that there's only one God, yeah. right? Christianity would say there's only one God. And if you don't confess that God, you're going to burn in hell. Right. So that's sort of true in that, yes, there is only one source, but it's not that if you don't confess God that you go to hell. It's a little deeper metaphysically. It's that if you believe you're separate from the source of the universe, you have to live in this state of separation, mm. feeling separate from others. You know, you can't really live with love in your heart. For people, if you think you're separate from them, they become threats to you and or something to possess, right? And so you have to transcend the belief in separation to realize your oneness with the divine, with the universe. And so we could call that state of consciousness heaven. Right. And believing you're separate from your source is, right? Interesting. Archetypes. So not believing that you're part of a bigger picture is what brings you to basically. Yeah, and, and not even just that you're part of it, but that you are it. Like, 
in the same way that every wave is the ocean, mm. a wave is just what the ocean is doing, right? Mm. You are like a wave of the ocean of the universe, of reality. So you yeah. are what reality is doing. And only by knowing that, we could call that oneness, understanding that I am one with the universe in which I live. Mm -hmm. That actually brings tremendous peace of mind. And it actually brings a lot of uh, that feeling of love for people. You actually care about other people. Yeah. And you want to be of service to them and be kind to people and forgive and whatnot. Because you want to reinforce the belief that you're one. Mm -hmm. which you really, So that's, that's what Jesus was talking about in um, you know, the book of Matthew and Luke. Jesus famously says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Because mm. his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, when is the kingdom of heaven going to appear to us? Because they believed, like Christians believe, that it's some separate location, right, in the cosmos somewhere. We go there once we die, right. if we're good. And Jesus said, you will never see the kingdom of heaven appearing here or there. Mm. For I tell you the truth, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And so in his first century ancient world, that was his way of saying heaven is a state of consciousness, right? Right. So even though you left Christianity, you still reference the Bible. Oh, yes. Yeah. From a much more mystical or metaphysical standpoint, no longer from the what we would call uh, literalistic standpoint. So yeah. Christians believe that every word in the Bible is literally true right. and that God actually wrote it through people. So mystical Christianity says that every story in the Bible and every ancient scripture, whether in Hinduism or Buddhism or Taoism, all scriptures reference these deep archetypes of the human experience. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to exist? And the Bible also points to those eternal truths, mm -hmm. but you have to sort of like Jordan Peterson or um, uh, Jordan Campbell, you have to see past the surface layer to the deeper meaning of what that story is conveying. Mm -hmm. And then you can read the Bible or any spiritual text and get a ton of meaning out of it for your own life. Yeah. But when you read it literally, you miss the actual truths that it's trying to convey. Why do you think there's so much animosity between religion and science? I always see this online. Do you think there's a way that they can achieve some middle ground? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think at some point they have to because I believe that everything is spiritual, which is synonymous with saying everything is scientific. Meaning if science is anything, it's just, it's just the study of reality. Mm -hmm. And when we say reality is spiritual, we mean that there's a deeper dimension to everything that we that the eyes don't necessarily see like we see the form in front of us and then we have a mental label this is a bottle and that's water but actually when we zoom in at the quantum level mm -hmm. it's this amazing universe of light photons and energy and electromagnetism in quantum entanglements mm -hmm. that is nothing like what we consider to be real but that's what everything's made out of so we could say like that's the spiritual when we use that word or the metaphysical there's something deeper there to everything that we see and science is already discovering that through quantum mechanics right but i think we're just at the beginning of what science is going to continue to see in the observable universe like the holographic theory of the universe everything is a hologram mm -hmm. is kind of catching on to this idea that everything is pure spirit pure consciousness mm -hmm. um and we are at our stage of evolution at least i think extraterrestrials know this like basic knowledge to them that everything is pure light yeah. you know quantum energy um, but to us it sounds like a very advanced concept so i think we're evolving into the understanding that whatever we've called religion religion was like the ancient world version of science yeah and then what we now call science are really the same thing ultimately looking studying the same thing 
but just from very different vantage points, right? Nice. You mentioned extraterrestrials. They just announced yesterday that yeah, they yeah. confirmed their existence. Have you had any run-ins with them yourself? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I think about how cool that would be all the time. You hear like abduction stories and stuff. Yeah. Um, I have done, are you familiar with Dr. Stephen Greer? I am. Okay. So you know the CE5 meditations? Yeah. Okay. Have you done one? I haven't. Have you? Yes. Okay. I've done a number of them and um, only one out of, let's say, three or four that I've done did I have an actual like UFO encounter. Wow. But um, I'm, I'm much more interested in understanding the, the philosophy and the spirituality of extraterrestrials than I am interested in their technology, mm. which that's very interesting, of course. But what's more interesting is like what level of spiritual evolution are these beings at? Because for example, anyone who's studied UFOs knows that we've been encountering them for hundreds of years. Right. Um, there's all those papers from the, I want to say like the mid 1800s. Yeah. And there's all these newspaper articles from the 1800s talking about, I think they called them airships back mm -hmm. then, but you know, airship spotted and they'll try to draw replicas of it. And, you know, 6,000 people witnessed the airship appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. And you're like, wow, this was a newspaper article from the 1800s. <laughs> and now we're seeing that all the time. And our government is now acknowledging like, yeah, yeah, we've had encounters with these UFOs for a long time. And I think yesterday or the day before, they actually acknowledged, we've actually um, captured bodies of the pilots of these UFOs, aliens, wow. AKA, which is pretty remarkable. And so my question is, if they've been here so long, why, if they're, if they're evil and malevolent, why haven't they taken us over already? Right. And why aren't we on another planet? And if they're not malevolent, the only other option is that they're benevolent, right? And so that's what I'm more interested in is, okay, so these beings are, probably encountering us the way that we encounter zebra or a, a pride of lions in Africa. When we study these animals, we don't run into the middle of a herd and start snapping pictures and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We study from a very far distance so we can see them in their natural habitat, get to understand them a bit. And then on rare occasions, if an animal needs help, a biologist may actually you know, tranquilize the animal, perform an operation on it, set it back into the wild, but that's pretty rare. Yeah. But we do have UFO encounter stories like that. But when they want to see how the species reacts to them, they will gradually encroach from a far distance until the you know zebra, the lions, whatever animal they're studying can see them. And they just monitor their reaction to them. Right. And what always happens is, I just watched this amazing show called uh, Chimp Empire on Netflix. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Um, they actually just get used to you. Mm. And so the these this amazing... Um, sort of like group or herd of, of chimps, over a hundred of them, let these researchers live with them for like 30 years and film them up close because they just kind of got used to them. They knew they weren't a threat anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think we're probably in a kind of acclimation phase with extraterrestrials where they're doing that to us yeah. in that, hey, we're here. You can't deny that we're here. You guys see us all the time, you know, doing things in your skies that you know you guys don't have the technology for. Mm -hmm. But yet we're not doing anything to harm you. In fact, um, there's many stories of extraterrestrial vehicles seeming to help out um, humanity, such as the, the nuclear warhead story from 80s or 90s, I think, like disarming nuclear warheads and stuff. Wow. So they, they are having some interaction with us, but I think they're just trying to show, look, we're of no threat to you. In fact, we actually want to help you evolve and we want to be of service to you. But they're kind of waiting, I think, for us to really acknowledge them yeah. and say, hey, we do want to have a relationship with you. And then because 
they have our free will mm. acknowledged they'll be happy to like actually maybe even walk among us right that makes sense yeah when you saw your ufo in your uh, meditation what exactly happened so we were in my wife and i were in puerto vallarta mm -hmm. mexico and we were kind of meditating on the beach late at night and uh, it got dark it was like you know 8 30 the sun had just crossed below the horizon and so i said hey babe you want to do a, a ce5 mm -hmm. meditation and she was like yeah because we had just watched the documentary and so we did the the protocol which is essentially just to get into a meditative state so you're in the the same field of consciousness that these beings are in mm. and you just send up a feeling of love to them and welcome and we're grateful you're here and we want to have a relationship with you mm. and because these beings are, are i think very eager to have relationship with us yeah they tend to respond to that by showing up and making appearances that are undeniably extraterrestrial mm -hmm. sometimes they'll appear in, in these amazing formations with lights uh, appearing and disappearing out of the atmosphere that quickly mm. and then they'll zip off at like a trillion miles a second <laughs> you know so that that's their way of saying yes we we hear your message and we also want the same thing you want i mean if we went to another planet if our scientists could get to some other planet mm -hmm. and we saw another species like ours that seemed very intelligent would we want to nuke them and take them as prisoners no, no we'd want we'd be super fascinated yeah, by their yeah. civilization we want to study them and we'd actually want to have a relationship with them so we could share science and understand them at a, in a deeper way. And so why would we assume extraterrestrials would want anything less, right? Right. So there's people that are super skeptical about past lives, super skeptical about astral projection. You're very experienced in this space. What message would you like to tell people that are skeptical about these topics? Yeah, it's something you got to get into to, to discover the validity of it for yourself. You, you really just, especially with astral projection, you can't take someone else's experience for your own. You've got to try it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a one entry way into astral projection would be lucid dreaming. Many people listening have probably had lucid dreams or have practiced the art of lucid dreaming. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Yourself? Okay. So a lucid dream is an astral projection. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes, because the definition of an astral projection is basically just your consciousness experiencing any other frequency level other than this physical one. Mm. So a dream actually at night is an astral projection, meaning you're not, you're not experiencing your physical body. Mm -hmm. you, have, you have actually no experience of your physical body. Your, your body's laying in bed asleep and you are in some dream body, in some dream universe, having an experience of some kind. And so that that's technically an astral projection, but it's not a lucid astral projection, so it doesn't really count. Mm. But hypothetically, it is. But a lucid dream is definitely an astral projection because you have projected your consciousness to a different dimension. Wow. Again, you're not in your physical body. You're in some other. Is your physical body running around in the dream world? No. No. It's, uh, we might say, a mental body of some kind, which yes. Hinduism calls the subtle body. Mm. And uh, from there, you can learn, once you learn how to go lucid, mm -hmm. And the techniques are pretty simple too. Like you could literally just go to bed with a strong intention. I want to have a lucid dream. And you can repeat phrases to yourself such as, I am awake in the dream. Or I realize I am dreaming. Mm -hmm. And if you repeat that for a few minutes, it usually will show up in your dream. Yeah. And then when you say it in your dream, it will cause some lucidity to happen. So your waking state enters the dream state. And that's an astral projection. Mm. From there, you can start learning other techniques, which I learned around 24, um, such as the rolling out of bed method. 
So when you become lucid, you can essentially do whatever you want in the dream. Yeah. You can fly around, you can attack dream characters. Like it's all just <laughs> happening in your mind. Yeah. But if you remain still and concentrate, you can say, I want my mental body to actually project out of my physical body. Mm. And this is where most, most people are gonna get lost if you've never heard of this concept before. But again, do it for yourself and find out if it's true. That's what I did. Mm. Um, basically the idea is once you get into, you're, you're lucid in a dream state and you get kind of still mentally, you then literally physically act like you're gonna barrel roll out of bed. And when you do that, it will make your astral body or your subtle body um, roll out of your body and so I would essentially flop onto my floor. And Whoa. the first few times you do it, it's gonna feel pretty scary because it actually feels exactly like your physical body would feel. So you actually feel the thud of your body on the ground. Yeah. There's no pain, but it's very shocking. Whoa. And then you're sort of in a, I mean, you might be anywhere, but for me, I would end up in some kind of gray, foggy version of my bedroom, which I think is probably a mental projection of my bedroom, but that's, that's astral projection. You've, you've caused the subtle body, the astral body, to project to a location outside the physical body. Mm. So once you're outside of your body, you're in another dimension, right? Yes. Is that the fifth dimension where the spirits, demons, and angels lie? So this is where we could get into like the dimensions versus densities conversation. I actually see it more as a different density level. Okay. Uh, the density would refer to the amount of light in that dimension, mm -hmm. the, the volume of light. So the higher density level of consciousness, the more light is there, which means the more, you know, light is information. Mm. So the more information is there, which means there's more ability for consciousness to express itself. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about past lives, um, this is also kind of the model that our soul goes through in our process of reincarnation and evolution mm -hmm. is called the seven densities of consciousness. And the soul is evolving lifetime after lifetime through all seven density levels mm. and you you incarnate hundreds or thousands of times into each density level wow. so it's a very long journey but it begins at the first density which is the four elements earth water fire air and space and that's where consciousness begins mm. in the universe and it evolves from there into plants insects animals humans extraterrestrials the in level of intelligence consciousness can express yeah. increases the higher the density level is Wow, so we all start as like a rock or water, we move on to trees, to plants, and then yep. we go into, into humans from there. Yeah, it's probably a wild thought for a lot of people that you have experienced a bug, bug lives, you know, bird lives, fish like trees, even up to, you know, hundreds of different species of animals probably, because mm -hmm. the idea is like consciousness is the one being in the universe. Everything is just pure consciousness. Uh, the analogy you've probably heard is like the mind of God, or there's just one mind. Yeah. And the universe we see is like we're looking at the inside of God's mind mm. and all the thoughts God is thinking. So you're a thought that God is thinking, mm. and so am I, and so is everything. And so from that reference frame, um, consciousness has to begin at the earliest possible expression of mm. a thought. Wow. So that would be like an element, right? Just water or fire. It's just um, a singular force. Yeah. And from there, it gets more complex. Uh, second density, and the densities correlate to the seven energy centers, by the way. Mm -hmm. The second density is where you begin to move in your environment and interact with the environment. So anything from like microbial life, plants, insects, animals, that whole spectrum is second density. 
So consciousness is gaining a little more experience, right, in, in space time. And then when the mind does that thing that the human mind did a few hundred thousand years ago, where the mind is able to sort of like flip in on itself mm -hmm. and become an object to itself and know I exist, I am, that's the third density. Right. And, and that's where we become what we, we consider human, where we have like a social self and we interact with one another. Uh, that's the third density of consciousness. And then where extraterrestrials live begins around the fourth density and beyond. That makes sense. You had an interesting take on this, so I wanted to touch up on it um, on your social media. Are humans designed to be with one person? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a fun topic. Um, I think in short, I would say no, mm. because how many of us have actually been with one person, right? Not many. Even if you end up like myself, married and monogamous, you've probably had a lot of relationships. Right. So in the grand scheme, no. But it's just I think it's just a matter of what you want, because like we talked about metaphysics a minute ago. Metaphysics, again, is just like the law structure of the universe. And this really the second law, the first law is the law of one. Mm -hmm. The universe is one being. The second law is the law of free will, which essentially just means, you know, we could get into the whole Sam Harris conversation, but it just means every being is allowed to express what they are mm -hmm. authentically. The universe doesn't force you to be any certain way. It allows you to have your own decision of how to express yourself. That's free will. And then from there, we move on. So when we get to the conversation of relationships, it's more a question of like, what do you want? Do you want to truly grow spiritually? Well, then a conscious relationship with a, a monogamous partner is the best way to do that. Right. Because why? Because it forces you to confront your ego mm. and the, the need to constantly have new partners, right? That's a kind of um, blockage in the lower three chakras mm. because you're not self-sufficient enough to not need as a validation device. Once you transcend as a, a means to feel loved or accepted or good about yourself, then actually the idea of a partnership becomes really intriguing to you because having with just one person to you is now no longer different than any other person. Mm. It's more about the relationship itself and the intimacy of a relationship. And that's really what we all want at the end of the day, I think, is yeah. to have intimacy and love and companionship with someone, to grow with someone. And if you want to grow with somebody, again, that's when uh, a monogamous partnership becomes more interesting to you than a non-monogamous relationship. But I don't see either one as le more or less valid. Mm. It's just a matter of what, what's your preference. Yeah, these days it seems just hookup culture is so rampant. People have multiple partners. It seems yep. kind of counterintuitive. It definitely is. Yeah, and people, I think people go, get it wrong when they start to try to force their ideology of everyone should be monogamous or everyone should be polyamorous. It's like, no, that's what you should be. So just be okay with you being that. You know, <laughs> yeah. you don't need everyone else to do what you do to make it valid. But it, the universe is a, is a game of decision. Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of experience here do you want? Yeah. Why do you think there's so much divide in the world right now? Do you think social media has enhanced that at all? Yeah, without a doubt. I do ask this question a lot of, do I think social media is a more of a blessing than it is a curse? Mm. I think ultimately it's more of a blessing, just like the internet is, because it creates more unity overall on the planet. Mm -hmm. Like now, because of the internet, we can know every single disaster and conflict happening at any part of the world right. instantly. And so there's, we're becoming more one as a species because we're in touch with each other, but yeah. we're, we're still carrying all of that third density consciousness of we're separate. I am my ego. 
And that causes, the ego is what causes conflict between two people. Mm -hmm. Every war is a war between egos, right? And so we have to start transcending ego consciousness and realizing we're one with one another. And the internet, I think, is the early stages of that happening because now we can't, like, you know, in the Cold War, it was easy to scapegoat Russians as, oh, they're all bad people yeah, and yeah. they want to bomb us and they're, they're the devil. And people just bought it because mm. they don't get to see or interact with Russians mm. on a regular basis. But now we do on the internet every day. And some of us have friends in Russia on Instagram and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot harder for the, uh, the global elites to continue dividing us because the internet is connecting us in that way. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because we got to form our own opinions with this war between Russia and Ukraine because of social media. Right. Before we would have never known their sides and just bought whatever the media told us. Yeah, you have one option of what to believe. Yeah. Um, We'll end it on this. A lot of people fear death. I used to fear it. Um, I think I've come to better terms with it now, but what's been your experience with death? Are you afraid of it or have you accepted it? Yeah. I think death is a very beautiful catalyst for helping you to understand who you are as a eternal spiritual being. I think actually, if people were to be really honest with themselves, people are more afraid of the possibility that they're eternal than that they're finite mm. and that they're going to die, right? It's almost easier to accept that you just, here you are appearing as a conscious, complex human being. Mm. You just get one shot at it. You've never had any other shots at anything else. And then you're done forever. Mm. It's kind of a very, um, to me, it's like a very kindergarten way of understanding life. Right. But it's a very like acceptable way of, okay, I can accept that. But to accept the nuance that you are an eternal being, you're actually pure consciousness, dreaming thousands of lifetimes and you're you've arrived at this one mm -hmm. and i think the hang up people have is like well then why don't i remember my past lives mm. and apparently you actually do gain memory of past lives at the beginning of fourth density and beyond but here in third density we're still evolving out of separation consciousness so we're really not lucid in the dream yet right we still think we're the character only and we don't know who we are beyond the character we're playing just like when you're dreaming at night you're not conscious of Sean laying in bed, it's Tuesday night, tomorrow I have a meeting. You know, that part of you is not present in the dream. Mm. And so you're like, well, how do I know I'm something beyond the dream character? Yeah. Like you can't really know it while you're in the dream. You just have to transcend the dream itself, which is the belief that I'm just the character in the dream. Mm. So when you do that, death becomes a non-issue because you understand, oh, there's just life in the universe. There's just consciousness. Mm -hmm. And like, if I am conscious, then I am consciousness. Mm. I, I'm one with my source, right? That's what the law of one says, is that ultimately there's just one being in the universe and everything is that being in a different expression. So wow. you're that being. And so that's, I think, what's more cutting edge than just life sucks, then you die. Yeah. To me, that's just a boring, uninteresting <laughs> way of seeing life. It's more like, hey, you're a co-creative divine being who are here to manifest all of your potential. And like just the fact that you have this amazing podcast is a sign that you are in the process of manifesting your full potential, mm -hmm. but you've just begun to tap into it. Yeah. Isn't that way, way more exciting? It is. It is. That's a powerful message. I, I really think that will help people come to terms with death. I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, anything you want to close off with, man? Um, no, just thanks so much for having me, man. And I appreciate the ability to have these kind of conversations with you on your podcast. Absolutely. Where can people find you? Um, I'm the same everywhere. So it's just Aaron Abke. Last name is spelled A-B-K-E. So at Instagram, AaronAbke.com, YouTube.com slash TikTok, Aaron Abke. All right. Easy. Love it. Thanks for coming on, man. And thanks for watching, guys. I'll see you next time.